millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to Charlton Live. This is the big match preview. I hope you guys are well. My name uh, is Louis Mendez. On this week's show, we will, of course, be looking ahead to Saturday's home clash uh, with Paul Bell. We've got perhaps a slightly more important discussion point as well, the uh, the potential Mark Spiegel takeover that may or may not be happening uh, in the next few moments or in the next couple of days, shall we say. Who knows? We'll find out uh, over the next hour, hopefully. Right, uh, joining us uh, first up, Mr. Nathan Miller. Hey, dear Nathan. Sorry, lost the mute button. Yeah, I'm good, mate. Living the dream, as always, on this sunny day in uh, South London. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, but yeah, same thing. Yeah, I was going to say, you're more in Palace territory, of course, Nathan. But yeah, it's good to yeah. have you. Also joining us, bottom right, it's Lewis Cat. How you doing, Lou? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Buzzing for the takeover? Who knows, mate? More unknown, isn't it, really? More, Yeah. well, just, yeah, who knows? We will see. Yeah. We'll come on to that in a few moments' time. And also joining us bottom left with... Uh, well, she, she's replaced the mug of gin with an actual glass of wine. So she's hiding in plain sight this evening. Sue Gallup, how are you doing, Sue? I'm all good, Louie. It's my fr- it's my Friday night. Thursday is my new Friday. So, uh, yeah, I've got my little, uh, my little glass. Yeah, so it is it's, it's a small one, but it's about the fifth one she's had. So, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, bottle. Yeah, Friday, uh, Thursday is the new Friday. I've always said that on Charlton Live. Right, so on this week's show, and, and we'll open up to you guys as well. Um, we're going to hear later on uh, from Dean Holden looking ahead to, to the Port Vale game. We've got, of course, uh, one of the Upbeats joining us later on because it's Upbeats Walk Day on, on Saturday. Uh, quite a few of us from Charlton Live are going to be there. Josh Greenwood from the Upbeats is, uh, is set to join us later on. So uh, hopefully we'll be bringing you him to discuss the programme. But um, obviously we do have to talk about uh, this uh, th- this apparent takeover that that seems to be on the verge of potentially happening, um, a- as is uh, the-, the sort of uh, way these things have worked out over the last few years, in- until it's on the club website. And even then, uh, you- you're never sure it's actually going to happen. I mean, we can't even use the club website rule anymore after Matt Southall made the boys put that one up when they hadn't actually had EFL uh, approval a couple of years ago. But uh, what seems to be happening then over, over the last 24 hours, it had gone fairly quiet until this week when um, sort of Tuesday evening, wasn't it? There was a, an article uh, from Bloomberg that suggested that, that Mark Spiegel was out there looking for investment uh, for financial backers to come and help uh, with, uh, with with Charlton Athletic. Now that set a lot of people a bit confused because we weren't sure um, if that means he wasn't sort of on the verge of doing it because there had also been rumours that he was going to sort of go this week. Uh, that evening after that confusion, I think um, the, the, the Spiegel group you know we don't know exactly who from it was speaking with with, with Richard Corley at the South London Press suggesting they actually hope the deal will be done this week um and now we we do know now that that Friday appears to be some sort of deadline now whether that's a deadline that's been set by Thomas that you got to get done by now or whether it's one that's 
being worked towards by Mark Spiegel, whether it, whether it's one that's going to prove final or anything as well, is is something that that we're not sure about yet. But you know, so it's one of those days tomorrow where we're thinking, right, well, will this be a day where something actually happens? Or it could be a day where absolutely nothing happens and, and we don't hear anything. That's just the way these things sort of work. Now, to add to the excitement, uh, when we all woke up yesterday morning, um, there was a document that was leaked uh, amongst the Charlton fan base. It hit a few uh, a few forums, a few Twitter accounts, whatnot. Uh, we got the copy of the document here on the um, on the screen for those joining us on on YouTube. Um, and and this delved into some details. Uh, some of which were quite surprising, like the fact that 600,000 people in London support Charlton. Uh, some of which I think, which are probably more important, were, were quite eye-opening in terms of some of the wording around what we believe that Mark Spiegel's way of running the club might look like. Um, and, and again, so we'll go into more details in a few moments' time, and I'll, I'll list some of the bullet points that I noted. Um, but yeah, then to clarify sort of yesterday... Um, the, the Spiegel group again spoke to, to Richard Corley about what was um, being leaked and, and they said that um, they're not looking for funds to run or acquire the club. They said that the investment document which we've got on the screen currently uh, is relating to acquisition plans for the next 12 to 18 months, which again does sort of raise a few um, questions because we're not entirely sure what they're planning on acquiring in 12 to 18 months because and I was we were sort of Loose guy thinking this last night, and the only thing we could think they mean is is the stadium, but that's not available for twenty million pounds. It is that twenty million pounds that they've been speaking about? The twenty million pounds I've had to show to the EFL for the next two years. In which case, what is this thing that they're actually trying to acquire? I, I honestly have no idea, and if anyone does know, I, I'd be interested. But um, yeah, be, before I go into some of the bullet points, Nath. I mean, just your, your overall view on what's happened over the last 24 hours and, and 48 hours. And also, obviously, welcome to everyone who's joining us in the uh, the chat on YouTube. Let us know what you think about what you're seeing, what you're hearing at the moment in time, because obviously it's a another step into the unknown. But we've just been given a little bit of light in the form of this document as to what may or may not happen. Nave, uh, any ideas? Mm. Uh, no, not really. I mean, firstly, it looks quite cool. Quite nice, doesn't it? Very pleasing on the eye. I know there's some random sort of um, numbers in there, but I mean, I just strip it back from this lovely document that's been leaked or released or whatever's happened to it. But I just can't get my head around someone willing to pay Thomas an, uh, an amount of money, whatever that amount's going to be. What is it? 11, 10, 11 million, whatever it's going to be for a loss making business. I just, and then you've not got the assets with it. So you, it's basically just throwing money down the drain. You're just going to oh, 10 million a year loss. Yeah, we'll just throw money down the drain one year and then the second year. And then on, on the third year, we're going to be in the same cycle again. So I just don't know. I just don't know what's really happening. And yeah, if they're going to come in and buy whatever and they're going to look for future investment, then fine. But I, I still don't see that it's a solution. I just think we're just kicking the can down the road in a sort of way, really. Um so I think the only, for me, the only way I can see it is three options, is do that first option where we're just going to be chasing our tails, being in the same position. Some Someone who's lost their marbles and decides to pay Roland whatever he wants for all the assets, or Roland reduces his price when he, even though he's got something signed, I would imagine, to say he's getting X amount of money. So to me, it just seems like we're going to be, we're not really attractive, attractive enough to get massive investment because we're getting sort of the likes of Thomas Soundgarden, 
you know, this Mark Spiegel. I don't know his wealth, but I know he's not billions. He's not, well, he's not like a Saudi prince, as far as I'm aware. But, um, yeah, so it's just a bit, I don't know, it's getting a bit boring, if I'm being brutally honest. Um, I just want to be able to watch us on a Saturday, don't even see the owner, don't know the owner. It's run properly and um, we're successful. Um, but I can't help but think we're just going to be in this situation two, three years down the line. Yeah, and uh, well, that, that's it's a merry-go-round, isn't it, really? We, we, we're going through a bit of a cycle now where people come in, think they can do it their way, and and that'll be that. But, well, let, let's see. So, I mean, to, to dive into the, this document that, that we all saw yesterday then, Lewis, and obviously one of the first headlines that gets picked up is this 600,000 Londoners calling themselves Trump fans, which, yeah, I mean, it, it seems a bit pie in the sky. It's actually the supporters trust seem to have accidentally laid claim to that number. Um, but it still it still doesn't really make a lot a lot of sense um, the, the way it's been worked out and certainly the way it seems to be implied on this document saying that six hundred thousand Londoners call themselves Trump supporters is, is is just a ridiculous number. So it starts off on a bit of a weird footing. But for me, I think the the standout the standout bit of information on this document in the immediate term was 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 the lines regarding minimal capital investment needing needed to realize strong growth. Um, so suggesting there's not a great deal of money needed to be put in in order to, um, well, you can look at growth as, as, as a number of things, but, you know, on, on the football front, obviously getting promoted um, in, in terms of supporters coming in through the door, commercial activities. I mean, they're going for that sort of model because there was a, a line as well saying investment thesis is not hinged upon promotion. So they, they, they seem to think that they can do stuff in league one in terms of making this an investment. Now um, they also said revenues could effectively double from a return to just historical average match attendance and ticket price reset to league one medium pricing. And, and again, you know, some of the numbers on there for the ticket prices seem, seem to be odd and a bit low. Um, you know, so some of and the suggestion being that they they'd go from what they said was an average ticket price of fifteen pounds and a bit or sixteen pounds and a bit to nearer twenty one pounds. So whatever they sort of decide is the ticket price currently, they're almost implying it's probably going to go up by about a third, um, which which isn't an ideal situation in the current in the current situation that we find ourselves in. Um, yeah, delving into those details, Lewis. What, what did you make of the, of the document? Now you've sort of seen those in black and white. Yes, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, first of all, if there are 600,000 Londoners, they need to make the Valley Calf bigger. That's going to be top of the list. But uh, it's, yeah, I mean, as Nate said, it's a, it's a very well put together document in terms of its appearance. And there's some real detailed analysis and data in there. Um, and they've obviously spent a lot of time on it. But as you say, some of the, some of the standout areas, uh, especially around, you know, thinking that they can return the invest the investment and the turnover they need in League One, I think at first is alarming because y- you can't. I mean, ultimately, the goal has to be to get as high up the footballing pyramid as possible because that's where your money increases. That's where your income increases. You attract other fans. You know, the higher up the pyramid, the more attractive you are to supporters. And, and maybe those supporters that haven't maybe pledged allegiance to a club yet, um, so it's a difficult one to read, to be honest. Um, look, I think the biggest concern for me is I don't really know a huge amount about Mark Spiegel. Um, it was the same with Thomas when he came through. He kind of came out of nowhere um, and obviously just showed that sort of keen 
and a willingness to get the, the deal done at the time and we were in real dire straits um, and we warmed to him very quickly. Obviously, now our trust is, has been burnt quite heavily over the last sort of five years or so with the various owners that we've had. Um, it makes it hard to get too excited about anything and, and too ambitious. Um, but look, there's there's a lot of analysis in there and maybe the messages that they're putting across are are positive, that they see it as, a, as an investment to try and push the club forward, regardless of some of the numbers being a little bit skew with, maybe. Um, it shows ambition. I think my biggest concern is, are they going to match that ambition with the relevant investment required to push the club forward? Because if you go into any other, you can go into another club that requires a takeover, but we have so many extra little bits that we have to sort out. I mean, we've spoken massively the last few weeks about the the size of the rebuild that we have this summer in terms of the squad and players out of contract and decisions to be made there. That's going to require investment if we're going to replace players with better players than what we have now. We've obviously got the debacle with the with the assets being away from the from the club with the stadium and Sparrows Lane being separate from the club at the moment. That may be something that's further down the line because of the lease, but they're all, you know, bits of red tape when it comes to a taking over a football club and a lot of money is required to bring everything back under the same roof. So I think it's it's going to be one of those where we just have to to see what happens. You know, if it does go through in the next couple of days, as it seems to be as the target, then, you know, it's we've got two games left of the season. It's be quite hard to celebrate it or, or read it on face value this early. But, you know, I think it's important that if it is going to happen and there is going to be some kind of inject, injection of funds or something, then, that it happens as soon as possible so that we we stand the chance to do our preparations for next season now because we don't want to be rinse and repeating you know this season and last season because it it will soon turn the fan base very quickly for a new owner. Mm, yeah, uh, Dan Raunch on the comments has pointed out one of the funny mistakes in that in that document is the references uh, to Milton Keynes uh, Dons as a, a London side. Um, Paul Davenport says, as much as I'd want Spiegel and co to buy the Valley and Sparrows Lane, there's no point grossly overpaying no matter how much wealth they have. And obviously that's the point. In fact, I've just seen uh, Peter Varney uh, on Twitter whilst we've been speaking saying, uh, as things stand, an investor is looking at about £53 million, which is £46 million plus £7 million to the ex-directors for the property assets. So that's the Valley uh, Sparrows Lane, I assume, included in, in those. Circa £10 million to Thomas Sangar for the club, which I don't understand why he's charging that for the club. Uh, and another £20 million deposited to the EFL and as a starting point. Then you have to have investment in players and, and obviously the club's losing between you know £6, £7, £8, £9 million a year, Sue. We, we are in a bit of a sticky situation, but I mean, Paul says the problem is even if you're serious, like as in you've got a big bank balance, you don't maintain a big bank balance by going in and paying over twice what something's worth. So I don't see how the Valley does change hands at this moment in time, whilst Roland has that, that sticking point, that, that asking price in his mind. And I don't see that changing any time soon. Well, I just can't see it. No, I think, sorry, I was on mute. Um, I think the, the Valley in the training ground, realistically probably is never going to be ours again i think i think we i think we need to get our head around that that who is ever going to come in with that sort of money to buy the valley and the training ground so then do we think about an alternative with someone that's got 
I mean, obviously, again, we're saying we don't know anything about Mark. We don't know where the money's coming from, um, long-term aims, short-term aims, whatever that is. I haven't obviously read the document yet, but I think anything going forward realistically is not going to include owning the valley and the training ground, which I think as fans is really, really sad and upsetting because of how, how much hard work went into actually getting them back in our care world, the valley, anyway. But they, they, no one is ever going to pay that amount of money unless we, like by some miracle, got back up into the Premier League. No one is going to pay that amount of money for a football ground and a training ground. It's just not going to happen. So then how do we make the most of whatever finances this this new potential owner has in trying to get us up the legs? I mean, I know I saw a, a great video the other day about looking at what it can look like when there's like that, that full valley, like the, the playoffs against um, Donny. When that video went out, when there was the full full valley and what it looked like i think it's um it it would be a big push i mean obviously we don't know what will happen in the summer and i think like what lewis was saying about whatever happens in the close season we've only got those two games what happens tomorrow or the next day with this this new potential owner the summer will be key as as for the intention of where we're looking like we're going to go and what money that might be invested into the the new probably whole squad pretty much but then it's like that longer term aim where are we looking because <clears throat> again to be able to build a side that's going to get you into the championship and higher it's not going to be peanuts and then we've got to look at like we're saying our home do we need to leave it and, and I, that ho that's horrible to say that, but do we need to realistically start thinking about not playing at Valley again? Mm, well, I just wonder if, if building a new stadium would probably cost more than, than fifty million pounds anyway. That that's an assumption. Um, on on the, uh, the the document again that, that we're seeing here. I mean, it's it's only small, so you're going to struggle to see it on, on the screen. But I mean, there, there is chat about sort of. Um, Using using data and analytics to uh, to um, I don't know to to try and work out which which players we should go to and and they they seem to think that that will give them an edge in the um, in the in the transfer game um, and in the players game and we've heard this before I mean one one sort of concern I have here Nath, is is that this is another group that's coming in thinking that everyone's been doing football wrong do it our way we, we found a loophole to to do it on the cheap and it'll work. And, and and I feel like we've been been down that path a few times, even obviously starting with Roland a few years ago and, and, and the, the Thomas Drysons of this world. Yeah. I mean, the thing I said about using data analytics to identify players on that, every single football club in this country use data analytics. If they don't, they're still stuck in the 1960s. So um, data is massive now in the game and I'd be worried if they come out and, you know, it's not a massive revelation that they'll be using data unless... Obviously, Brentford use it in a in a different sort of way, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't really know 
what they've put in there that's any different, what the status quo is at the moment. Um, but I know that, they're, listen, they're, they're trying to gain investment, so they're going to try and shine everything up and make everything all look brand new. And, and listen, it does look like a nice document um, and it might appeal to some people, but I just can't, I just can't get my, wrap my head around it of them trying to convince people to part money when there's not really, there's no, I just try and, if I was an investor, like what is my return? Like what are you going to get in return to give them X amount of money? And there's no, you've got a massive out. I think like Sue was saying, you've got a massive and, and Lewis, there's a massive outlay in the beginning. There's a massive capital investment that they've got to make. That's not guaranteed. So you can go and do an Ipswich and a Sheffield Wednesday and Bardell's place, but it's not guaranteed. You'll stand a better chance, but it's not hundred percent given. So, but I guess that's football. But I just think if you're trying to sell something to someone and say, yeah, we haven't got the assets. So even if you try and bridge that gap, I don't know how they're going to increase the, if they, well, they're, they're increased the, the amount of income coming into the season or within a season, if we're not doing that great. Um, then if, the, if you try and plug a gap in terms of selling your assets, well, your ground and your training ground ain't yours. So what have you got? On your balance sheet, if you've got player registrations and of our player registrations, who have we got? Lieburn? Maybe Ash, maybe Lucas, but there we're not talking multi 20, 30, 40, 50 million pounds per player here. So I just don't really know what how this is any much different to what Thomas Sangard is. Listen, like I said at the beginning, I don't know Mark. He could come in, he, he might take over tomorrow and he'll be the best thing since sliced bread for all I know, and I hope he is. But we've seen it so many times, and everyone can talk the talk, can't they? Everyone can do that. But unless you you know, actions speak louder than the words for me. So if he comes in and walks the walk as well, then I'm all for it. But like Lewis said as well, we just need to see how it plays out as we always have done. Then just hope it doesn't fall through because that's what scares me a little bit is if it does fall through or it doesn't happen. What happens if Thomas all of a sudden goes, oh, I can't really bother it anymore. I don't really want, especially in the off season. You ain't got no money coming in. There's certainly a... Certainly, a suggestion out there that he's he's had enough and, and he doesn't particularly want to be putting in much more money. So that that would be a very difficult situation. But then he he'd just become, a, I, I guess, a, someone who has to sell really quick, which he is anyway. This note is a red chaser on the forums asking about my mug. Here's a Charlton Live mug. Uh, it's it's the one based on the 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 kit at the end of the late eighties. So it's not red and blue for what he was asking. But just in case, uh, just in case he thought he was, Nathan's got one as well. There is. We can see Rufus saying, "Hey, it will be good to see what staff the owners bring in uh, if they bring in their own people, actual trusted football people with the correct knowledge to actually build a squad." Because obviously that is something that that we've lacked over the last few years in, in terms of um, yeah expertise behind the scenes. You know, we, we've we've had your as Patrick's pointed out, we've not had much luck with the, the people they've brought in over the last years, the likes of Katrine Mayer or, or Martin Sangard in, in the last, uh, or the current ownership, we should say at the moment, all hell let loose asking if uh, Martin Sangard supplied the data to the Spiegel people. We might, might have done on the on the 600,000 fans. Um, yeah, Dean, Dean sort of says it all really, doesn't, doesn't he, Lewis? Spiegel has got to prove it all with a very sceptical fan base. I mean, there was a there was another comment further up as well from Craig saying, has there ever been a less eagerly anticipated takeover? There's very little optimism. Um, they've got to come in and prove themselves. We'll put it that way. Like We're, we're sort of in this weird situation now where if, if it's happening and if it happens tomorrow as per the deadline that, that Spiegel's been talking about, then, well, well, what do we do? We, we sit there and, and, and see 
the colour of these people's money and how how well they can run the club. And obviously that's going to be a massive concern. And they've they've got to win us over. I, I don't think we're naive enough to go into it as we have perhaps the last few ownerships. I mean, George is saying give the new owner a chance, and and obviously people will because they've got no choice. But that they, they'll certainly be be being watched very closely this time around, Lou. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think it's a case of fans not giving um, Mark Spiegel a chance because, as you say, they, they don't really have the choice because it looks very likely he's going to own the football club imminently. So, you know, as, as we've touched on, really, it, it's hard to judge him on anything now because the season, you know, it's a dead rubber. We've got our last home game Saturday, the last game of the season next week, and then the players will be off for however long and they'll come back for a pre-season campaign. And that's where we'll start seeing you know, the investment and how serious they are about mounting a challenge. You know, if they want to, you know, make the revenue streams that they say in this in this document, then they're going to have to invest early and give Dean the tools that he requires to put together a, a competitive promotion pushing side. Otherwise, it's rinse and repeat. And it's going to be a, a tough, tough ask. And my big concern here is that there's no real experience there in the sporting industry for him as far as I know. And I think the point that um, that one of the, uh, comment said about bringing in people that understand football as, as a business and, and as a you know as a full set that you do need the right people in place that understand what they're doing to make those critical decisions you know commercially to make those revenues better you need people that understand the industry as sport and not not anything else uh, to maximize the growth of the football club you need the right people in the recruitment team for for the playing staff you know that's a, that's been a hot topic since the Sangard era really took place that there's maybe not been the right um the right level of knowledge there um and and that's going to be critical because the re- the rebuild's so tough you need someone you know with with Steve Gallen a, you know a team there with Steve Gallen that can bring in the right players uh, and that they you know understand what it takes to get out of this division um and that it's all going to cost money you know as you, as we said earlier it, it's not a cheap venture for for anybody any football club it is you know it's a money pit it is until you're in the the higher echelons of the footballing pyramid. It, it is a money pit. So if he hasn't got hasn't got the money to to run it, we'll find out very quickly. Um, but you know, as we say, we we've got to give it a chance because you know people are at the end of the tether with the current ownership. That looks like that's coming to an end now. There's going to be another chapter in the in the Charlton Athletic story, and you know, hopefully, it's a positive one for everybody because we've been through enough. You know, we we really have as a football club been been through the mire. So you know, it's about time we got some luck. We've just got to take Mark as he is now. And, and if it does go through, which it's looking like it will, then we've got to maybe be a little bit patient and see what see what the off-season brings and see how we shape up heading into the next campaign. Yeah, Lawrence uh, says he's only just joined. I heard a lot about tomorrow. Is this now concrete? So, I mean, as uh, as per sort of at the top of the show, you I mean, there's a, there's a deadline of sorts that's been set tomorrow, but we don't really know what that means, you know, tomorrow could easily come and go with nothing happening and nothing being said by anyone. It could be a massive anticlimax, or it could be we see Mark Spiegel on the pitch holding a shirt, playing a guitar. You know, who knows what's going to what's going to happen tomorrow? Um, I mean, Mr. Curly Worley, which is a great name, says uh, it's almost like Christmas Eve. Very concerned, uh, but yeah, a little optimism is built up for uh, not the hope that he's a good owner. Then at least to get rid of, of Thomas Sandcastle, he's called him. Um, yeah, that that will be at some point. You know, the, the end of the Thomas Sangard era is, is nigh, Sue. Uh, it was interesting watching a, a thread on Twitter earlier today about how we'll sort of be remembered. I mean, it, I think it depends on, I don't know, your, your 
how, how you saw what happened behind the scenes a bit more, you know, like I, I think those of us who really had a good eye on some of the way that the staff were being treated behind the scenes, you know, and, and I think that the broken promises and, and that sort of stuff will probably see it a bit differently to someone who just saw him as someone who came in, saved us from Southall's mob or whoever was the last lot that had us, uh, Nimmer and Farnell, wherever it was at that point. And someone who had a lot of enthusiasm, but ultimately made a lot of mistakes. I mean, if you don't see the the nastier bits behind the scenes, people might see it like that as well. It'd be interesting to see what his legacy looks like in, in five years for for most fans. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one. And I think I've said it before. As a person, I don't, he's, not a, he's not intentionally done what he's done. Like he's... It's, it's just been a really difficult situation and I think we, we've all talked about it outside of the show is that I think when when he came in, he was just severely, severely underestimated how much money has to be put into a football club in on a monthly basis. I think that there was a query of like sort of a million or just under a month and that that's not just the wages that's the running of the stadium that's like I'm, I can remember when I was working at the club full time and it, it things that you don't even think of like toilet rolls the amount of toilet rolls that you need on a match day and the amount of money that costs those sorts of things that I think everyday fans you don't really think about it I never did until someone came up to the desk and said unless you pay your bill today, we're going to take all your toilet rolls away. Now, that was quite a few years ago now, but it, effectively, you don't think of that stuff. And it's not just about paying the wages and um, getting players in. It's the daily cost of running a football club as big as we are. I know it, we, we sort of say we're not one of the bigger ones anymore, but actually, like, to run the Valley on a match by match or just during the week when the staff are there it's not cheap and again i hope i hope that mark has done that research if he's the one coming in and knows exactly what the expectation is in terms of daily funding that is needed to run a club of our size um it it just i think for thomas going back to thomas sorry because you've asked me about thomas i think again no one goes into this thinking, I'm going to mess it up. I'm not going to do anything that anyone tells me to do. But again, I think there's been times where he's been poorly advised and I think potentially got... Not, whacked. not listened to advice as well has been a big, a big sticking point with him. Yeah, and I think the fact that... It, it kind of... I guess you get onto some kind of like roller coaster, like it's like a runaway train, isn't it? You go in, you pay an amount of money for something, and then the next thing you've got a bill for this and you've got a bill for that. And I'm not defending him. I'm not. I'm. This is not what I'm doing. But I think right from the off, whoever he spoke to and was advised, like how it is running a football club, because we've talked about this a lot. There was never any experience of. In, in football from any of the family. Mm. Due, I know due diligence is such a long process, but it feels like that wasn't done properly because he's obviously then said, 
it's too much money every month paying. It's it just it's not sustainable. For unless you're a multi-billionaire, owning a football club will never ever make you money, and we all know that as fans. So why is it these people that are coming in and buying football clubs don't seem to get that concept? Um, so it is sad because we did have so much hope when he came in. He did seem genuine. I was sucked in. Like I think a lot of us were like sort of won over by the enthusiasm. Um, but as you all know, I'm the, I'm the rose-tinted glasses one here. But it, it mm. is, I feel like it's a really sad, sad outcome. But we have to we have to do what's best for our football club. And if that means that someone else is coming in, then that's that's gonna be the best thing. Excellent. Right, we will talk more takeover stuff later on uh, in the show, but we're gonna have a quick break and when we come back, it's time to look ahead to Saturday's update uh, upbeats walk. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cullen trying to take his man on. Chip ball back across. Bowers there. Pierces there. Bowers with a header. And it's done. Yes! 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 Oh, it's yes! Oh, Patrick Barr! right welcome back to charlton live now on saturday uh, many of us, including myself and, and quite a few from the Charlton Live team, uh, will be taking part in the Upbeats walk. We'll be going from the training ground and uh, snaking our way around South East London before arriving at the Valley Nine uh, miles later. And to tell us a little bit about the programme and why we're doing that today, we're joining us uh, from the Charlton Athletic Community Trust is, is Terry Purr and one of the Charlton Upbeats, Josh uh, Greenwood, uh, joins us on Charlton Live. Uh, good evening, chaps. How are you? Evening, Louis. Evening, everyone. All right? In it, uh, yeah, not too bad. How you doing, Josh? As well, you're right, mate. Um, actually, am I on mute? You're right, Josh. I can hear you. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Great, mate. How you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing fine. Excellent stuff. So, um, Terry, just just uh, quickly, um, while we're thinking about obviously the upbeats all coming up, uh, obviously we'll be asking fans to donate towards the program as well. Just give us a little bit of a rundown about. Um, the Upbeats programme and why they need the funding from the uh, from the supporters to keep going. 
Yeah, so um, obviously the Upbeats uh, project have been running 15 years now, um, which started off um, by some funding we received from uh, a project with ITV. We was lucky enough to win that. So that started us, that kickstarted the Upbeats project off all them many years ago. Um, and uh, since then, obviously, we do lots of fundraising stuff, mainly the fundraising walk yearly that really pays for uh, the lads to experience the project weekly, um, which is football-based, as you know, um, but also to um, engage in other activities. So we do lots of other stuff with the Upbeats now. It's not just about football. You know, we do residentials. We take them away to tournaments. Um, two teams play monthly in uh, Faversham. Um, we also do some social evenings. Uh, just recently, we took the whole group to watch Back to the Future, up at uh, the theatre up London, which was brilliant. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the Upbeats has grown and grown over the years, and we've probably got around 35 regular attendees every Saturday, um, and that's from sort of five-year-olds up to uh, our oldest member, Paul's 49. Um, they all get kit. They're all dressed out in, uh, in Cholton colours, Cholton kit, Cholton tracksuit, just to feel part of the team. Um, and the fundraising every year, uh, that's what makes that happen. Excellent, Josh. Very proudly showing off your your Charlton tracksuit there as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, tell us a little bit about yeah. Tell us a little bit about um what what playing and being part of the Upbeats uh, means means for you, Josh. Well, I, well, I've been at Upbeats means to me is that I train every Saturday, and every time and and every time when the players comes up, the way that the Upbeats means to me is that. All of them are kind of like family, and I always call them and I always call them my Arabic brothers because we have got like a special community that's going on with the Arabics, and it's all thanks down to Terry um, for doing that. Yeah, Terry and and Carl and everyone in in the background have been working so hard o- over the years and and providing and um, some great memories for the Arabics. I mean, Josh, um, so I mean. Terry was just talking about some of the events you do outside of the football, but obviously, uh, uh, is the football the, the the biggest part of it for you? Is is that your favorite your favorite thing to do with the upbeats, or is it the social yeah. side as well? Yeah, I've been, yeah, I've been my biggest part now that my dream has come true because I'm nineteen. Is that what Terry did say that I am um, going down to Faversham for what's a month, and I have been doing that. And I have been and I have been scoring um, lots of goals, and I'm still tuned with the upbeats. Um, and uh, and when and this coming up June, I am flying out to Belfast with the upbeats. And on my previous, I scored five goals in my previous matches. So hopefully, I can score more when I go to Belfast this year. Yeah, those uh, those trips to Belfast have always been one of the highlights of, of the Upbeats um, sort of calendar as well. Uh, and we've got the game coming up this Saturday on, on the pitch as well, Joshy. I mean, are you looking forward to that, sort of stepping um, out of the valley? Yeah, I am going to look forward to it. So it's going to be my... So it's basically two times that I'm going to be playing at the valley pitch at the home ground. And the team that we're facing against is the Everton team of the Dancing Dream team. And I am getting used to tackling them and hopefully I can prove them wrong as got more goals on the pitch. Excellent stuff. So, I mean, Terry, just, just once more then, obviously we, we've spoken about how the uh, the fans support this with the amount of money that they raise. I mean, how, 
is, is there like a target for what what the trust would like to hit this weekend? I know it seems it seems to go up and up every year the amount that the supporters are able to raise. Yeah, I think um, you know anything anything we raise is is greatly appreciated by all the fans uh, and public. Um, I think the target is twenty five grand this year. Um, uh, but like I said, like we're we're grateful for anything. We understand there's a cost of living crisis going on, and you know, it's, it's difficult for people to to donate. So anything we raise, you know, goes to the upbeats. 100% goes to the to the project um, and the stuff that we do, whether it be football or social stuff. Um, just as Josh uh, touched on there, you know, the Upbeats has become more of a family than a project. If I'm honest, you know, over the years, I've run many junior football teams and, it, and it's a bit like that, really. You know, you you sort of speak with parents a lot on WhatsApp messages and um, it really is, uh, you know, we run so many projects at the Trust, as you know, but this is one that's close to close to everyone's hearts and mine included, just because I've been around it so many years. And I've seen the boys grow up from, you know, from boys into men now. Um, and the opportunities they, you know, they get, whether that's, you know, moving on to doing some work experience or some paid work. Um, as you know, some work in the Upbeats Kitchen. Um, we've got a couple of lads that work in at Toka Social at the O2. And um, it's just trying to give the guys experience um, to, to, to try new, new, new stuff in life. Um, and as well as, you know, the football, uh, and they're great footballers, you know, and they're nine times national champions. Um, and they and they hold their own in pan disability, which is ever so, you know, much harder. But uh, the social side you see of it as well, you know, Josh wouldn't have known probably half of his mates before now that he's met at the Upbeats. Um, and that goes for a lot of different groups there. You know, there's, there's one that, there's guys that come along because they're good footballers, they want to improve and they want to play competitive football. We have others come along for the social aspect, which is, you know, really beneficial for, for the upbeats and the parents as well. Excellent stuff. Well, well, Terry and Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you guys on Charlton Live this week. I look forward to seeing you both on Saturday. Uh, we'll, we'll be down there bright and early at the training ground with our, with our walking shoes on. So, yeah, thank, thanks for coming on and we'll see you on the weekend. Lovely. Yeah, thanks for having me. Come on, the Upbeats. Excellent stuff. Cheers, See you guys. later, guys. Thank you very much. That was Terry and Josh joining us on, on Charlton Live. That was fantastic. I'm really pleased we, we got those guys on. I've tried to put the link into the chat comments. I'm not sure if it's worked for you to donate, but if you look at my Twitter page, at Louis Mend, uh, you'll, you'll see a link uh, where you can donate to the, uh, to the Upbeats for our, our, our walk. Uh, on Saturday, if anyone's on the walk, come out, make sure you come over and say hello and, and, and get your photo taken with Nathan, uh, all that sort of stuff that you'd like to do. Um, we should look ahead to the game with Port Vale shortly. I'll just a couple more questions have come up uh, on on the takeover, which is probably the biggest story in town at the moment. Because if we're being totally honest, uh, I, I forgot we're playing this weekend, and I have very very little interest in it. But um, so, uh, Chiz has said on on the forum, the club has reached such a low point that any takeover is likely to be greeted with zero enthusiasm. Uh, this may wait to sp- uh, work to Spiegel's advantage in the medium term because there's no expectations. Uh, in that way, Spiegel may be a very Charlton owner. No one can think there's going to be any success at all. He may well have engineered a takeover at the perfect time because any success will come as a huge and pleasant surprise. He's starting start at a very low base, isn't he, Nave? Like, <laughs> it's almost like he no, no one's expecting anything. He's got to win us over, I guess, is part of it. But if he does do well... Then, then he'll be he'll be greeted like a king. Well, I think there's a few comments in the in the chat that has been going on since we've you know since we've been live, and a lot of people were saying you know has he done his due diligence? And Sue touched on it in terms of the operational spend, but he's going to have to prove himself and back himself to spend obviously the operational costs and the rebuild that's needed 
Um, however many players that's going to be, you're probably looking in double figures, that's for sure. So he's going to have to put his money where his mouth is. So, um, yeah, but like I said earlier, it's tight. If, if he's going to talk the talk, he's got to walk the walk and, and he's going to live and die by, by those decisions. I think the key bit is getting someone in who knows football, whether that's Peter staying on, Peter Story staying on, or or whoever. Um, you'd think if they looked at previous sort of ownership models, it's not worked. And when they've brought their own people and it's not worked. So, but yeah, he's, again, we just have to wait and see. I know it's not that an answer that probably is going to be satisfying to most, but we can't really do much else then just to see how it pans out if it does happen tomorrow. Mm, yeah, uh, certainly. Um, a couple of questions and, and points in the in the chat. I mean, Dudley's saying it would be good to see the end of uh, Tommy. Um, I hope we get a decent owner, uh, please, Lord. Jay said if uh, if this happens tomorrow, I would like to say thank you for Thomas uh, for saving the, the club three years ago. Um, all hell let loose. Is it a worry that Mr. Spiegel has gazumped the Meffin group? Why pay more? I guess if you want it, then, then you pay more. It's the, the fact that you're paying at all that I still can't get my head around in, in terms of this, Lewis. Um, yeah, it's, I, I find it very strange, but yeah, the, the, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, as uh, as a wise man once said, Ben Hayes on the Chalk Knife Forum. <laughs> very much so. Yeah, he's got a hell of a lot to do, isn't he? A very, very busy summer. He's going to have to hit the ground running straight away if he does get this takeover over the line because there's a hell of a lot to do. There's a lot of areas, not even just on the footballing side, that he probably needs to target. You know, um, there's a yeah, a lot of work involved. And and as you say, you, you question anyone really getting involved in football clubs these days because the amount of money that, that they hemorrhage. So, look, we've, as I said earlier on, we've, we've got to be a little bit optimistic with it. Otherwise, we'd have nothing, would we? <laughs> so we've got to try and... Yeah, try and keep my heads up and see how this all goes and, and judge him on face value as the as the preseason goes by. And, and hopefully it turns out to be a good thing because, as we touched on a minute ago, if, if it goes right, then, I mean, he will be seen as a very successful owner and a bit of a hero because it's been so bad for so long. I think the, the famous saying when Roland left was like, surely it can't get any worse. And then we got ESI and it, obviously it was 100, like 100 times worse. It's just... Seems to be how Charlton is, and you can look at it the same way now. Like, could it get as bad under under Spiegel as it has become under Thomas um, of late? You know, that it's got a he's got a bar that he needs to surpass because Thomas, I thought, did okay when he came in at the start, and as the guy said above, you know, he did save it as much as he may be unpopular now. We, we were in a really dire situation when he took over the club. Um, you, you look at some of the decisions that have happened between now and then. Obviously, some really really good people have left the club. That, that's rubbed people up the wrong way and there's been decisions that, that have been made that have been quite baffling and and it has disconnected the fans from the football club to a level that I've never seen at the moment. We spoke last week about how how um you know horrible it feels down the valley at the moment because it's empty. We don't enjoy going there anymore. Um and that's a big issue. So hopefully we see some investment in the summer. We we can get something that we can get behind as a fan base. People want to will buy season tickets feeling optimistic and we can start getting the place feeling like home again because at the moment it doesn't feel like home and that's key. Certainly is. Right. Um, I'm, I'm sure more takeover stuff might come up later or maybe on Sunday at the Player of the Year dinner when, when, we, uh, when we're when there recording. But we should have a quick look ahead to Saturday's game uh, with Port Vale at the Valley and uh, who better to hear from than the Addicts boss, uh, Dean Holden. Games to go. Uh, no midweek matches to worry about. Um How's the squad going into the last couple of weeks of the season? And uh, any any fresh injury worries? 
No, not really. No, the, the lads that have, have missed the, the chunk of games in recent weeks and months won't won't be available. Um, other than that, we'll be we'll have a squad uh, that we've had uh, for for most of the past games. Really, there's no real, well, nothing anyway. Certainly, sitting here on a Thursday, you don't quite know what's going to show up before in the next 48 hours. But as we sit here now, we're yeah, we're pretty much as we were. And we're playing the Port Vale side at the Valley, who are now safe themselves from, from relegation, having won for the first time in nine games last Saturday. But as we saw with Morecambe last Saturday, um, that means very little if we don't turn up and perform. So uh, how important is it that we sign off uh, with our last game at the Valley uh, this season with a win? Yeah, I think since obviously Andy's took over, um, unfortunately Darrell lost his job a couple of games ago and I think they lost narrowly 2-1 to, to Ipswich and, and then, as you say, he had a good win against Bristol Rovers last week. So um, I think there's, I think there's one, isn't that one team that can maybe catch them goal difference-wise? Um, so I think they'll come here. I think they'll come here irrespective of the league position. I think they'll come here. Andy, obviously, there's a job available, so I'm sure Andy, his experienced assistant manager, he's, he's been around the block. He's worked with previous managers at different levels of the game and I'm sure he'll probably want the, the job himself. So, you know, I'm sure he'll have his team fired up for that. There's, there's players within that squad, as there are uh, players in our squad who will be playing for contracts, either at the, the respective club or elsewhere. And that's why I always talk about, I don't care what part of the season it is, what position you are in the league, doesn't matter. You're a professional footballer and there's plenty to... There's plenty to go for. There's pride. There's three points, and as a professional, that should mean everything to you. So, it'd be it'd be a good game for that reason. It's our last home game. We want to send our supporters away after a uh, a roller coaster season. Let's say that, and um, we want to send them away with with some smiles on faces and some optimism for next season. Certainly. And speaking of smiles on faces, this time last week you were being grilled by the upbeats at the uh, at the press conference. Uh, firstly. How, how good was that? Um, but uh, also on Saturday, it's the uh, it's the upbeat walk, and uh, to raise money for what is a fantastic program and a cause. Um, you get to see them play as well uh, before the, uh, the the game itself against Port Vale. They, they play Everton on the Valley pitch. I'm sure you'll be wanting to encourage fans to, to dig deep if they can and, and help the upbeat program. Yeah, of course. We've said before it's not an easy time for anybody, but if if, if somebody's got some spare pennies, I'm sure. Yeah, the upbeats, the guys would really appreciate that. There's a lot of great work goes on, as you said, time and time again with the community trust. And it's a big event on Saturday, isn't it? Last home game, we've got the walk from the training ground to the stadium. Hopefully, raise a lot of money for that. And then, as you say, the guys are playing on the pitch, which will be the most incredible day for them, won't it? And the families. So important that we all get behind them and show our support. And hopefully, then they can watch uh, watch the first team win as well. There we go. That's Dean uh, looking ahead to the game on Saturday and the Upbeats walk. We've had a couple of donations in, uh, including Chris Collingwood, a couple of uh, anonymous ones as well. So thanks for everyone who has uh, clicked on that link so far after hearing from Josh earlier. Um, yeah, uh, playing for Pride um, too. Uh, I played for very little of that last week. So that, that's something that needs to, needs to be put right because I, I, I can't stand to see Tom Wallin as angry as he was on, um, on, on Sunday. I don't want to see that again. So we need to put this right on Saturday. Yeah, you. Do, I, I think as well. We've we've talked about like just in terms of season ticket sales and stuff like that. Like psychologically, if you come away from the last home game of the season with a win, potentially a new owner, that could boost the sales of the tickets uh, in terms of the season tickets. But yeah, I mean, you want it. You do want it. Always end the season on a high, no matter how. Like, there's nothing to play for. But pride, like Dean said, and I think if you if you want to walk away from the valley on Saturday feeling like right, we've got half a chance next season possibly, 
I know we have a lot of uh, different faces in the building by them. Um, I think you need to be like geared up for that next season and pre-season, having seen some effort and um, the, the lads really dig in. Even when you ain't got anything to play for, you've got to show that you've got pride to wear that shirt. Any one of us here right now would absolutely have died to wear that shirt. So they need to show that to the fans so that then coming in to a new season, pre-season, that, that actually some of these players we can invest our our hearts into, we can invest our minds into and thinking actually some of these lads do actually care. They do want to play for the shirt. Um, and if nothing else, that's the most important thing, I feel. Mm, yeah. Uh, so we have a, a very brief look at Port Vale. We couldn't get anyone from the 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 uh, Vale and the Ale pod, unfortunately, because they had the... Uh, they they had something at the club this evening, but um yeah they they sent they sent their best regards and um yeah uh, uh, Terry mentioned that they're effectively safe. Cambridge have got three games still to play, so they could catch them on goal difference. Um, it, it would take something spectacular for Port Vale to go down, and I think there's some of the teams down there are playing each other as well, so it's possible that none of them are going to be uh, able to actually overtake Port Vale. But yeah, they they they're winless on the road since. New Year's Day, obviously, they sacked, um, sacked Daryl Clark quite recently, Nath. Um, beat us 1-0 of, uh, uh, in the away game when, when, obviously, they were playing that anti-football that, um, that Ben Garner was telling us all about. How, how are you seeing Saturday going? Yeah, I mean, as you say, I think I think they're effectively safe. I think Cambridge playing Accrington in their next game, so I can't really see I them getting they can caught unless some... Mm. Nah, so I don't think... Um, so that'll be a tasty game, actually, that Cambridge one. Um but yeah, I think it'll be fine. I, I, I can't see them. I can see them sitting deep. It wouldn't surprise me. And I think it's the onus is going to be on us again um, to put you know put them to the sword a little bit. Which we, in a way, Morecambe did in a bit. They didn't really pass off the pitch, Morecambe, did they? So it's just about us turning up, as, as Dean said and rightly said. It's about being a professional, showing your personality, and trying to win a game of football. Um, last Saturday, if you had to pick someone out who was out of contract who put a performance in that, Dean would go, yeah, I'll have a bit of that next year. I don't think any one of them did. So again, it's there probably Stockton, the last maybe. time. Well, yeah, maybe Cole Stockton. Yeah, oh, I forgot about his shots. I don't want to think about that again. It still winds me up. <laughs> and then, um, but yeah, I mean, that's what they need to do. You've got a couple of them, whether or not we agree with they should be here next year, they're, they're playing for a contract here or someone else, wherever that be. So last, yeah, last one of the season, less try and keep it positive going into the end of the year because I know we're all going to be missing um, football until obviously the Welling game which is what the 1st of July which I'm buzzing about already to be fair so um, yeah try go out on a high hey but we'll see what happens yeah right Sam with a great question says uh, how many people will be staying for the lap of honour uh, after the game I'm questioning whether I should be staying after a poor season. I mean, I, I remember last year's one. What was our last? I think the last home game we beat Shrewsbury at the Valley. Um, but by the time the lap of honour had, had got over to the in front of the, the covered ends and like, there's hardly anyone left. Like, I mean, would you be staying, Lewis, for that? I don't know, really. I mean, it's, but I think it depends massively on if we go and like spank them six nil or something like we did, like we did with Shrewsbury the other week then people probably would stick about and clap them off. But if it's another sorry performance like it was on uh, at the weekend against Morecambe, then 
then no absolutely not i'll be i'll be in the pub at like 60 minutes probably at that right but um yeah I, I don't know i think it's result dependent if we have a good performance and we go out of a bit of a bang and a bit of positivity takeover goes through and everyone maybe feels a little bit lifted then maybe we'll stick around but yeah if, if it's anything like saturday then i imagine they'll be doing a lap of honor to the mtcs Mm, yeah, I, I assume that'll be the way it goes. Um, I mean, in terms of the team news, Sue, uh, Aaron Henry got given a chance against Morecambe last week. Didn't really work for him. And is, is he one you'd like to see given another go? Because, I mean, it, it is completely, utterly pointless, this game, as far as we're concerned. So, might as well give give, give him a crack. Oh, yeah. I mean, and to be fair, like, from what I can gather, obviously, we've talked about I haven't been at all the games this season at home. But it sounds like last Saturday was in for, for Aaron was a bit of a one-off like before he'd come into the team and actually played quite well so 100% I would give him a go like because again we look if we're looking at tom- uh, Saturday as being a building block for next season Saturday's your ideal opportunity to then look at some of those younger players and go right are they ready or do I need to think about sending them out on loan next season so someone like Aaron I would I would 100% start him off I think if you if you're playing a game that really there's nothing nothing to play for then what has he got to lose if he plays well it's like right he's in Dean's thoughts for next season if he doesn't play so well then it's like right okay so what do we do with him over the summer we do pre-season with him and then potentially send him out on loan to a, a sort of League two, non-league side, see how he goes. So, yeah, 100% starting Saturday. Yeah, excellent. Uh, thanks to Natalie as well, who's just uh, donated to the Upbeats on, on my page as well. I found your name on there, so cheers uh, for that. Yeah, Nathan, I was there's been a bit more comments just going on again. I think we've drawn a line under the game where it hasn't even happened yet. And I'm already sick of it, but um, uh, yeah, there's a couple of people talking, asking if, um, I mean, Johan, who, who claims to have been speaking with Spiegel and obviously, uh, he, he says he wonders if, if Holden would stay under Spiegel and obviously he's only just signed a, a long-term deal. So while Spiegel's been in the building, having those conversations, it'd be a, a big surprise if that if that was to be the case that he'd be, he'd be moved on at, at this this um this this time, but um yeah a, a, any new owner there's always a little bit of pressure on the manager to go with it even if he has just signed a new deal. Yeah, I mean yeah, regardless whether you're on six months contract, one year, three year contract, your manager's always under pressure really because it's a results driven business. But I can't say I don't. I mean I don't know. Obviously, if Johan, you know, if he's spoken to them directly, I don't know, but. Um, I'd be amazed if he comes in and sacks him straight away, especially given him if he's on a three-year deal, it's a hefty payout from day one. And he's like, um, he's been in conversations with him, as he told us on our own show about three weeks ago. So it'd be, it'd be very odd. Yeah. Well, well, well. Also, you've got to think if they're doing if Dean's already come out and said they've started the recruitment, well, it'd be a bit silly if you then go and do the recruitment, get you know all the way down the line of getting to the point of getting players, and then all of a sudden you go, no, you right, mate, see you later, and then you're back at square one again. So. I think it'd be a bit crazy if if they did that, and if he did that at the beginning, straight away. That to me, that's alarm bells. If that happens, so um, proof of being the pudding. But if if I think about it logically, I can't see it. But listen, we know there's loads of crazy stuff that's happened before, so I'm not going to rule it out completely. <laughs> mm, yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, Adam Ferris just uh, we'll end the show on this. Um, asked, would you sell Lee Burn if it meant we could afford to bring in two or three players into the into the team? Now, obviously. Nothing's a given at this level, but I mean, does does it does it necessarily mean you replace with, with with better players overall that would improve the team? Does it mean 
Would we find a striker of Lee Burns' quality? You know, he's obviously got into double figures for us this season, which doesn't always happen with our strikers. I mean, Lewis, where would, where would you land on that? I think if we're serious about ambition, then you keep your best players, ultimately, regardless what it costs to bring in others. That's where the investment is. Yeah, we might need to raise some funds to bring players in, but you don't do it by selling your best players. I think you've got to look at the key performers. Like, I mean, there aren't many other, but look at Miles as the as the standout first season. You know, young, good return on goals, fan favorite. What? Why? Why would you get? Why would you get rid of him? I think if you're ambitious about getting promoted and you set your ambition out early, you keep your best players. And Miles is probably our best player. Mm, excellent stuff. Right, we've run out of time. Uh, on this week's big match preview, uh, we, we previewed the match not, not much at all, really, because obviously the the takeover, the uh, apparently impending takeover has, has been the big story. Um, interesting day tomorrow, potentially. Uh, for some reason, I just feel like nothing's going to happen and we're all going to be sitting there at like six o'clock tomorrow evening going, that was a waste of time, wasn't it? But we'll see. Anyway, um, don't forget, we're not going to be live on YouTube this Sunday. It's the Player of the Year dinner. Um, where we will be sat in the corner recording a podcast. So that will probably only go out on Acast and, and iTunes and all those places. Uh, I, I don't really know how I'd get that onto YouTube. So uh, just check your, your podcast feeds for, for that. That Normally we have uh, exclusive interviews with players and stuff. So fingers crossed we'll, we'll get one or two uh, on, on, on the weekend. I'm sure we'll get Dean come over and, and, and chat with us for a few minutes. So, yeah, looking forward to that show. Thank you to everyone who's joined us then uh, this evening to tell and to Josh for that chat about the Upbeats in particular, which I really enjoyed earlier on. Thanks to everyone who's, who's continuing to donate uh, to the Upbeats uh, via our page. Thank you to Nathan, to Lewis and Sue. A pleasure as always. Cheers, everyone. Thanks, Cheers. I'll see you 8.30 bright and early, Louis, on Saturday morning. Oh, I am looking forward to it. As I say, come and say hello if you're at the Upbeats walk and get your photo taken with Nathan. Uh, he'll probably sign a couple of bits for you as well if you're interested. Um, right, uh, I'm Louis Mendez. Uh, thanks for listening. Like I say, check your podcast feeds for Sunday's show. It'll be out overnight after the Player of the Year dinner. Uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you on that show. We'll see you later. 